0: You're listening to the B School Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Elise Morrison, embodiment coach and founder of Inner Workout. Consider B School your invitation to becoming a student of yourself. So come on, let's get studying. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of B School. As many of you know, I normally record the podcasts in advance, and so this is one of the first times that I'm getting to come and talk to you in the midst of what is just personally for me been such a heavy and exhausting time that's also been mixed with hope and joy. And as I was looking at what I wanted to speak about in this first episode that I'm recording for July... I decided that I wanted to talk about some of the internalized white supremacy that I've worked through and that I continue to have to work through. And I've been really conscious about how I show up online and what I say and what I don't say, just honestly to protect my own energy. And right now you can't see me, but I'm placing my hand on my heart, but just to allow myself space to heal and to grieve. And so I I could do an episode where I talk about all the microaggressions and things that I've experienced, all the aggressive aggressions too, but I really wanted to talk about the work that I as a Black woman am doing, and I don't want this episode to be trauma porn or anything like that. I just want it to be an opportunity for me to say, hey, I'm a Black woman who has grown up in this white supremacist society, and here's how it's impacted me. This is what it's looked like for me. And there are still things that I constantly am having to unlearn and to work through. So this is just me talking to you as a friend. So where to start? I was thinking through this and the first place that made sense for us to start was as a kid. So I have always been an avid reader. Honestly, I've kind of dropped off as I've gotten older, but I can distinctly remember myself as a kid, probably about four years old, sitting up against the wall. my mom her first career was as an English teacher, and then she eventually went into banking and all these other things. but anyway, so my mom used to be an English teacher, and she had some English textbook, and I was just my my aunt was over, and maybe some other family was over, and I was just sitting up against the wall. Reading this really dense textbook at four years old. My comprehension was probably pretty low, but it was just this fact of like, there are words and I can sound them out and I don't know what these all mean, but I'm reading right now. I was so excited by it. And then, of course, when I actually started reading things that were at my grade level, I was even more excited. And eventually, you get to the point where at school you're having to write books. We always had, I think it was called Young Authors and you would write a book and you would illustrate it and you get to laminate it and make it look super pretty. And I remember in one of the drafts for my books, the main character had blonde hair and blue eyes. And my mom kind of asked me like, why why does she look like that? Why does the main character look like that? And she didn't call me out or get me in trouble or anything, obviously I was a kid, but I had just read so much Nancy Drew and all of these other things. Where the main character didn't look like me, so I kind of assumed that if I was going to write something that was going to be critically acclaimed in whatever grade I was in, that the main character had to not look like me and what's really interesting, I think, about that that place where I had my own internalized white supremacy was that my parents were so deliberate in giving me different books and dolls and toys who looked like me. I had the Addie American Girl doll growing up and loved, loved playing with Addie and reading all of her books. And I had so many books that had black leads and black girl leads. But for some reason, when I was in the writer's chair, I felt like it had to be this woman or this girl who had blonde hair and blue eyes because that's what I saw. In school, and that's what I saw in books like Nancy Drew and so many other kids' books that I read. And I really appreciate that my mom lovingly asked me that question and just asked me to think, encouraged me to kind of have some introspection around that, and I ended up changing the character, and I changed all the adjectives so her skin was like mocha and Caramel and all of these different things. They're really um, kids when they're describing characters. We're not super subtle. We just get it out there. But I changed all the adjectives and I changed the way that she looked, and she ended up looking a lot more like me. But that's something that I just noticed is yeah, as a kid, even with a fairly diverse community, even with parents who are intentional about having leads. And main characters that looked like me. And then we get to middle and high school. So I've probably mentioned it before, but it's worth mentioning again. I went to a Christian, I was going to say high school, but I went there starting in third grade. I went to public school for about two years, but kindergarten was a private Christian school. First and second grade were public, and then third grade was private again all the way through high school. And so in the school, it was a Dutch Christian reformed school, which means that a lot of the people, their great grandparents came from the Netherlands and they looked like what you would expect people from the Netherlands look like. A lot of pretty thin people, taller, blonde hair, blue eyes. It was not uncommon to hear someone say, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. And there was no thought that that might be exclusive even of the other white students that were there. It was just kind of this is the way that the school is. And so I noticed that a lot of my internalized white supremacy in that environment was about my looks. I am 5'4". I have hips. I have boobs. I have curves. And I spent a lot of my middle and high school even as someone who was active and ran track and did dance team, wishing that I looked a little bit different, wishing that my body was more straight, wishing that my hair, which at that time was chemically straightened, wishing that it would be longer, wanting in so many ways to take on more Eurocentric ideals of beauty. And in that context, yes, there was some more (laughs) some things that were more explicit around like the Dutchness and who the boys thought were hot. And obviously, there's some element of just that being part of the middle school and high school experience. But as someone who was definitely the minority in that environment, there was a a lot that I took on around how I looked like or how I looked, how I showed up, whether I was or was not beautiful. And it took me a good bit to unlearn some of those lessons and then I went to college at Vanderbilt, another predominantly white institution. I was really blessed to have a diverse friend group and have people who had all different backgrounds and college was when I cut off all of my hair and did what is called the big chop and I saw my curl pattern come in for the first time since I was a kid and Learned like how to deal with my hair in all its thickness and kinkiness and coiliness. And I really began to accept myself in new ways. But also, that internalized white supremacy was still there. I have been thinking often of this piece that I wrote. So, a long time ago, starting in college, I was a lifestyle blogger and I wrote this piece called Why I'm Tired of Being Black. And the point of the piece was basically supposed to be like, I'm tired of my blackness being the only thing that defines me. And if I were to write this piece again, I'd probably say, this is why I'm tired of white supremacy. I'm tired of being asked to speak for my whole race. I'm tired of having assumptions and stereotypes put to me. And it was it's interesting to me that in that time period while I was becoming natural and falling in love with my blackness in certain ways I still chose to write that piece and attributed the the issues the microaggressions that I was facing to being to my blackness rather than to the culture of white supremacy. I think that's very telling. And I debated like, is this something that I want to share that or not? But I I think it's important. Another piece that I haven't really mentioned is, yes, you could probably assume because I grew up going to a Christian school. I also was raised in the evangelical church and there's so much to unpack there. And I don't even fully know that this episode is where I'm going to do that, but there's a lot of things that I picked up. Suddenly, from youth group, from going to a Christian school, that created this definition of Christianity that was really nationalistic towards Americans. That was really like there's a lot of white saviorism in it. I think about the mission trips that we went on, and even me entering into this colonial <laughs> context as a black woman but going on missions trips and helping those who are quote unquote less fortunate than us. And not to say that there wasn't good that was done, but now when I look at the nonprofits that I support, it's nonprofits who have community driven initiatives that we're able to then support and uplift, but the community is always who is taking the lead. And actually paying community members instead of coming in and and doing free labor that could have benefited the local economy. And so I think there are a lot of problematic things. I know there are a lot of problematic things that I picked up having grown up in that evangelical context that was so tied in with whiteness. Even thinking about me going to a church that had some diversity but was primarily white and played a certain amount of music and growing up, there would be all of these debates of like, oh, we need to have more gospel music or we need to represent the cultures who are in the church, not just this like generic contemporary Christian music. And generic isn't even the right word because that almost implies that it's the default and it's not. Christianity is a global religion, so there are all of these myriad of ways to express through worship and even like theologically, the theology that I was exposed to is really tied in with the sense of white supremacy. And when I look, it's interesting. At this point, as I'm recording, last week or two weeks ago, last week, I was posting about how I don't personally identify with the Christian faith anymore, but I do feel like I have this special ability because I've done so much study of the Bible to be able in times like this when there's there's uprisings and we're talking about race to be able to really look at the Bible and provide references and theological support for why we should be free to say that Black Lives Matter and why the church, if they really believe what they say they believe, should be at the forefront of these movements but what we see, especially someone who's been on Twitter more often, is that it's Christianity, especially in this Western context, has become something that's about protecting whiteness. And I think that's a good segue into kind of the last piece I wanted to say. So I think I'm aware of the more obvious ways now that I've experienced internalized white supremacy and been able to remove myself from that. But there are still things on a day-to-day basis where I find myself, and it's a little bit different now having been in COVID, but I notice the ways in which I will walk a little slower because I'm nervous about walking past a white person. I don't want to have to deal with the microaggression of them like grabbing their purse because they think I'm trying to steal it as I'm walking around them, even though oftentimes they're taking up a ton of space on the sidewalk and I would have been able to easily get around had they been having some sense of awareness of the world around them. Or spaces where I am more or less likely to speak up. Worries that I have about like my husband and wanting him to be safe as he's leaving our home and coming back into our home and always having to have that in the back of my mind. And even I think that a lot of what I grew up with, even having two Black parents who raised me so well, I've had to get rid of some of the respectability politics that often are upholding white supremacy of wearing your hair a certain way or speaking a certain way or presenting yourself a certain way so as to make white people more comfortable. And now I'm having to give that a lot of critical thought of, okay, why am I choosing to show up this way? Whose comfort am I putting first? Is it this white person? Is it my own? Am I I doing it to protect myself, to make myself more safe? Am I doing it because I think that this is a quote unquote good opportunity and that if I show up in this way, I might miss something. I might miss out on an opportunity or what. So I'm still noticing ways that I am engaging with white supremacy and what that looks like for me as a black woman. So this episode has really been just me talking. I wanted to share some of my journey, some of the things that I see where I don't even want to say that I'm fully complicit because a lot of the things that I was taught, I Absorb them and thought that they were giving me a certain level of protection, and that if I did these things, I'd be safe and I'd be accepted, and et cetera. And that's just not the case; it's not. And so I, I'm dedicated now to using my voice on my terms to create the change that I want. And sometimes that's my voice, voice here on this podcast. Sometimes that's how I run my business. And who I choose to contract work out to. Sometimes that's where I put my dollars, but using my voice to actively fight against the white supremacy that I've internalized, but also white supremacist structures. So thank you for listening. There's not really a lesson here except that we live in a society that <laughs> was built on white supremacy and continues to uphold white supremacy and it needs to change. It does. It just does. I don't want to bring kids into this kind of society. I don't. So that's it. I guess the only other thing that I will say is this period of time has made me really aware of how I choose to use my voice. And so over the next few weeks, maybe next couple of months, I'm going to be rethinking what B-School looks like to make sure that it's something that feels sustainable and uplifting for me and is also allowing me to enact the change that I want to create. So thank you for listening. And I'm sure that whenever changes I make will only make this space better, but I do want to give you a heads up that that's what's going on behind the scenes. So thank you so much for listening. And I will be back in your earbuds later this week.